It's easy to become focused on the type of work we do. Doesn't everyone work in an office? Today, Heidi and Brent will introduce us to one of their clients with not a single cubicle in sight. They're a church in the northeastern US. So what types of organizational challenges have they been facing? Hi Heidi and hi Brent. Hello, hello. Hello again. How are you both doing? Doing good. Yeah, excellent. So tell me, a 200-year-old church and Madison Avenue. Are we seeing similarities here? I can't for a moment imagine there is. Actually, there rather are. That's one of the really cool things about the work that we do is work happens where people come together to work in groups, and that's where the goofiness starts. So <laughs> you've got as much goofy on Madison Avenue as you do in your community church parish. Again, if we could if we could alleviate people from organizations, organizations would be so much easier to deal with. <laughs> Except there are people and that's why we're here. Yeah, our lives would be so much easier if it weren't for clients. Um, yeah. Except for you guys, you're brilliant. Um, <laughs> so what is your connection with this church? How did they become a client of yours? It's a really interesting pastor who I've known for many years, and she got a calling into a church that is downtown in a mid-sized community, but it is a downtown community, so they work a lot with homeless outreach. They do occasionally have problems with people wandering into the church who have mental illness challenges. It's a combination of a long-standing religious community and some of the community support that's needed there. And when we came into the equation, the original challenge she was having, the minister, was basically, I went to seminary. I'm good at putting together a sermon. How do I manage a roof replacement project on a 200-year-old building. I don't do construction management. Yes, so it was interesting seeing her all dressed, ready for church, climbing scaffolding with the contractor, going up with a hard hat on to inspect the work so that the roof wouldn't fall in on the parishioners on Sunday morning. <laughs> So you, you were brought in not only to handle that, but all of these outreach projects that are going on within this church. Were you involved in, in setting those up, organization, or organizing those? And I think it was more of making sure that the resources were available to deal with them correctly. Because the church community, most church communities, the leadership is very thin. You know, you may have the pastor or the minister, and then you may have one or two other people. You have a secretary. But do you have enough capability within the church leadership of the parishioners to deal with all the different things that come up? So and it's, it's kind been, of building that community of resources in and, a church. And it's building things out where you have volunteers with all of the challenges of, oh, I volunteered, but this week I'm going to Florida. You must have known that this is the week I always go to Florida. <laughs> Well, my psychic powers aren't as acute this week as they were last week, but uh, yes. yeah, I should have remembered. Yes, yeah. <laughs> so, so there are unique challenges within communities that are based on volunteerism. 
And so a lot of that with structuring work and projects to be successful with the resources as they are, not as you wish they would be. The thing that really amazed us is when the pandemic happened, all churches had to adjust. Every religious community had to make adjustments. How are we going to reach our religious community in the pandemic, whether it's going to be on Zoom, whether it's going to be on Facebook Live, whatever it is, how are we going to continue to do our outreach? And that's where this this church... They've excelled. Gets, it, they get great scores because they've done something that they would have never tried before. And that's what makes it great. Well, to, to, to confidentially quote the minister, she sort of said... I feel like I'm getting close to televangelism. It concerns me a little. I never pictured myself going here. And what that covers up is they have created multiple modalities of attending worship. They have live attendance for those who feel safe enough to come to the church in person. And they also simulcast it on, I think they're using Facebook Live. Facebook Live. And I think they've gone YouTube also. Yeah. So there's multiple channels. And fascinatingly, this is really an interesting point of view. The age of their religious community is probably primarily 50 and up. It is not a youthful community. You would not think that that community is open to and they have adapted so strongly to the opportunity of attending virtually that they've actually had attendance go up. They've had donations go up. We're two states away and we can attend church. Yeah. You know, which is... There was recently an ice storm there and it's fascinating the minister really felt that, you know, things had been bad there. They had, ha- they had lost a couple members of their community to COVID, and she, she was concerned that people really needed worship that week, and an ice storm hit. They conducted services virtually. No one had to risk breaking a hip on the ice. <laughs> yeah. Attendance was up that week, and participation in the service was up. So you've seen this remarkable transformation, both of the parishioners as well as the format of the worship. Now, is this something you have suggested remain in place beyond COVID? Is this something you and the minister think, yeah, we've we've got this nailed now. We're, We're going to continue this process. Yeah, I, I, I think it's it's shown its success to be able to reach out to people that cannot attend in person. And they actually have people that are overseas, either on vacation or for work, and they're still attending, which is wonderful. It's going to continue. The part that worries her a little is that televangelist piece is, am I one of those people on TV now asking for money and trying to get donations over Zoom uh, and that makes makes her a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, coming from the UK, where um, you know the vicar of a small parish will have a, a rusty old Morris Minor sitting mm. in the parking lot, uh, to the US, where it's mega churches and huge AV systems mm. and it's all razzmatazz and 
you know, the pastor has their own private private mm -hmm. plane. You know, I get the sense that religion over here is like everything else. It's a business. It's a money-making exercise. So I can understand the concerns, but I mean, really, it isn't that... A, it all comes down to the pastor, doesn't it? it just because the medium's the same, mm -hmm. it doesn't mean the, the content has to be the same. And know? what I'm finding fascinating about looking at where they're at is this observational point is really the midstream in this tsunami of change that we're in the middle of because they had to react to the pandemic. They've engaged with that and they've discovered new great value for the community, for elderly people, for connectivity. So they've gained something out of it they never expected to find. And now what they need to build out is how do you fundamentally promote that fellowship and that connection so that it's not just transactional, so that it doesn't become a business, so that it remains a community of faith and not fund gathering. Yeah. So that's they're, they're like halfway through wherever we're going with whatever's going on around us. And they've really gained something out of it. Their community has changed. And now the question is, how do we help the minister balance and discover what's next? And it's amazing that they have realized that they have new opportunities. Many organizations out there have seen the pandemic as something that's just in the way and we'll go back to doing it the way we used to at some point. Yet this church has said, wait a minute, we've done something different. There's great value in what we're doing. How do we take that to the next level? Right. And if, you, if your audience, your sounds wrong to call parishioners customers, but I mean, ultimately, mm -hmm. they're coming to your church because they like the pastor, they like the message, the faith is correct. I mean, I have no idea yeah. how you'd expand an audience in that context. How would you? <laughs> I think you do it through community. If you're not conducting a, a gospel of wealth, which, you know, if you do X, you'll get Q out of it. If, you, if it's not transactional, then it's through the community. So what I find really exciting is working with this church to figure out what's next with patience and with grace. And grace is not usually a word I would choose, but I think that it would behoove Tim Cook to have a little more patience and grace to listen for what's there and discover what's coming. Yeah, and, 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 and I'm an atheist, and, and I find the mega church quite vulgar. I find that it's all about wealth and, and razzmatazz. And if I were to go to a church, I will be attracted by your client's church because I can see money mm -hmm. going back into the community. And to me, that's the message of religion, surely, is you know, love, the, love yeah. thy neighbor. Yeah. So I would certainly it's be built, a, it's, a fan yeah. of that if I were religious. Mm -hmm. And it's something I would it's consider absolutely. supporting even as an atheist because mm -hmm. you can see the great yeah. community work that's happening. Excellent. Yeah. So, um, what do we have to look forward to next week? Uh, we're going to look at something that we call innovation theater. The theater, the theater. <laughs> I can't remember what show that's from, but the theater production of 
invention and innovation when really there's none there. Ooh, so making smoke and mirrors. Yes, or yeah. mirrors and smoke. <laughs> well, thank you both so much, and we'll see you next week. All right, we'll talk next week. Thank you.